0: My name is Lydia Yuknovich, and my latest novel is Thrust. Author Lydia Yuknovich weaves together the past, present, and future in her new novel that imagines a world in which people have the chance to change the stories they came from. Her book, Thrust, follows Lifsvay, a girl who uses objects to travel through time and connect with individuals throughout the centuries. I recently spoke with Lydia Yuknovich about her love of repetition, the changing nature of language, and more. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. I typically ask authors to give a brief introduction of their books to our listeners, but you know, (laughs) Thrust thrust seems like it would be very difficult to describe, but do you want to take a shot at it?
1: (laughs) Sure. Thrust is a series of interwoven stories about people who have a chance to change the stories they came from and move toward stories of becoming. you're good at this. I practiced.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, your book features moments of, I would call it magical realism. I don't know if that's what you, how you would describe it, but you know, there are some also some like real items that surprised me, including, you know, like the story of the shackles at the base of the Statue of Liberty. Do you think most readers are as unfamiliar with that story as I was? Well, I don't know because I don't know most readers.
1: But when I was researching and writing, I took several polls, you know, just over drinks or something. I'd I'd go, say, did you know? (laughs) And no one I asked knew that no one, not a single person.
0: Let's assume those of you who are listening if you did already know this, I apologize, but let's assume that people are not aware of this story. Can you talk a little bit about how the Statue of Liberty was supposed to be initially how it was designed?
1: Well, the gift that came included the idea or the story that emancipation was partly the American fulfillment of a kind of story dream. And the broken chains of emancipation were supposed to be held in, you know, high up on the statue for everyone to see. And at a certain point in time, through money exchanges and through political meetings about the statue, those broken shackles got moved down by her feet and a tablet that we see now was situated there. And so, since so much of this book is about laborer relationships to things and stories and time, I gave that story back to them as a way of thinking back through it without instructing anybody what to think.
0: Now, we are introduced to the statue as she is being constructed, and we are introduced through four of the workers who are working on this. You know, the book covers so many different planes of of time and space, but that's the one where we we are introduced to the statue during her construction. And at one point, I I found it very interesting that there was some opposition in a Cleveland newspaper because the statue was supposed to be about freedom and and it was anything but. But then also, you know, during the construction, a, a woman had walked by and spit on the statue. And she did it because women were allowed to vote. So, you know, there's so much history and realism woven into this, this book that contains magical realism. I'm feeling your vibe. There's a couple things I would say about this,
1: where you're at with what you're discussing. So that really happened. A suffragette uh, did spit on the statue part as it was being built those stories in the Gazette really happened, (laughs) if we mean really happened, that someone told a story and that that story (laughs) made it to print. And so I am dipping in traditions of writing like magic realism, but I'm also deviating from those traditions kind of in that Murakami way. I'm representing the movement in time and space and dislocations of historical moments as if they could speak to each other for real, as if that were our reality. And in some ways, I think it is. I mean, people are spitting on statues right now. Statues are coming down. We're questioning what we meant then, what we mean now and what we might mean in the future. And so from my point of view, It's a time and space portal where we're asking past, present, and future questions all at the same time. And in that way, history's never dead to me. It's always alive. So when I'm writing those sections, it feels like I'm writing the present tense.
0: It felt like there's so much of our culture and our happenings woven into fiction, much like, you know, it reminded me a little bit of what Rushdie does in some of his novels. Mm -hmm. But, you know, part of this takes place when the statue is being erected. Part of this takes place when the statue is submerged in water because sea levels have risen and it's what is formerly New York City or or Brooklyn is now just the brook. And Lysba, you know, she is able to travel through time By means of water. Yes. And she uses, I don't know if I'm getting this right, but she uses like four items as barter for trade. And I'm not sure if those are the items that allow her to go into the water or if they're necessary for when she gets to the other time and she makes the trades. But, you know, it's penny, cord, apple, rope. Can you talk to me about the importance of these items thematically?
1: Yes. Well, you got it. You got it. It's perfect. The objects are very important, both as, you know, to help with the mode of travel, but also to make exchanges. And in some ways, they're meant to be little tiny allegories of the way words work, that we might be able to change words around in our storytelling of who we are and how we treat each other and the planet. If we would let go of the death grip we have on the stories we've been telling ourselves. And so the objects being able to move whole epics and time and space are kind of a small version of the idea that really, we don't have to be the stories we've inherited. Uh, We don't have to carry hate forward we don't have to carry the law and order story that happened on the statue of liberty forward we could rebecome anything we want at any time and if there's hope in the story that's it for sure so the objects are like words are like stories and then they're also just objects because as a child i had an inability to stop collecting objects that <laughs> my husband would say i still have but i've limited it to rocks
0: there was also something it was like toward the end of the book where it was oh I have the quote here you are something like a broken chain you are something like an umbilical cord and so I just really loved the way that the themes were repeated throughout the book and I just felt like it was beautifully done. And you know, one thing I want to talk about when I guess this is kind of a a theme, well I want to talk about names. Because there's a quote in the book, names and naming do matter a lot and names can slip their meaning. And another time, Kim, one of the characters said, not even our names hold still. And, you know, as I, I mentioned before we started recording, I, I was trying to figure out how to pronounce "laisve," and I discovered that in Lithuanian, it means liberty or freedom. And there's a point in the book where Laisve spoke about her parents, Aster and Fajone, and called it, quote, the story of a star and a dream. So talk to me a little bit about names and how they carried another level of meaning to the reader.
1: Yeah, well... Connected to the main themes of the book, a single word and a single name can be a carrier of a hundred different meanings, right? But we lock on to one or two and then we walk around thinking that's, that's it, right? And so kind of like the character of Lysfey, who's also a carrier, she's not a main character, she's a main carrier. a name can shift around and change meanings and so here's a gross example i can't use the word trump in a sentence anymore you know like well that steak trumped your spaghetti like i can't use that word it won't come out of my body it's been defiled (laughs) but a more important example might be what do we mean these days when we use a word like liberty do we even know anymore Is it worth going back into the word and looking at its hundreds of possible meanings instead of locking on to what we've been told it means or what some politician is arguing it means? And so svajome does mean dream in the language of origin and astra can mean star, it can mean other things, but these are words that carry the possibility of meanings changing forever. And that's just a beauty of languages. Languages are alive. And I was trying to perform that as many times as I could by use of, too, you rightly note, repetition. Repetition is magical to me.
0: Well, you mentioned language, and, and that was another thing I wanted to talk about, because, you know, in the beginning, the narrator who was speaking about those constructing the statue said, our language was a kind of anthem. And later, there was a reference to someone yelling in some language that the boy didn't know, or a yeah. language that he did know that sounded different when yelled. And so, like, the writing about language felt like a theme, but then, you know, there were so many other themes. Like, it felt like the heart kept showing up, or you know, Frankenstein and Darwin or death or death by stasis. So can you talk to me about, you know, I guess, pick and choose. You have so many to choose from right there. No, I hear you. I hear you. So one way to
1: answer would be to say this, that our present tense is filled with the crisscrossing of all these disparate, dissonant, heavy, difficult themes. And the two things that make maps for us, our hearts and stories. And so Lysve is a kind of helper figure that grounds the reader on their journey through this map of stories and and love. You know, there are several love stories of different types in the book. And so the helper is Lysve. but the idea is that, you know, even in our present tense, These terrible divides and difficulties and fractures, we might yet find new crossings if we figure out how to tell each other different stories or listen differently or something along those lines.
0: Can you talk to me about indigo? It was described as the sixth chakra or the third eye. Can you talk to me about indigo? Because that was another theme that ran throughout, both as a a name, a color, an idea.
1: Yes, indigo. like so many words in the book indigo's meaning changes forms and histories and stories and ends up being a real character in the book at one point two points (laughs) two points on the map and so indigo is my second favorite color so there's that i love the sound of the word but There are little tidbits in the story that nerd readers can go look up if they want to. And I've already heard from some fellow legions of nerd readers. And if you go look up the history of indigo, you'll find some fascinating items connected to the word. And indigo children really was a philosophy at one point and still is for some people. And so without giving too much away, some of these words are worth looking up and seeing what possible stories sift loose but that's that's where the indigo came from personally and through research.
0: Okay, so what's your first favorite color?
1: I had to know that was coming, right? <laughs> Blood. Okay. It's a dark vibrant red and that's literally the best word for it.
0: Yeah just a little bit ago, you said that Indigo shows up as a person, two points on the map. And so I guess I want to understand your map as a writer. How did this come together? Is it like the the epistolary document that was written all the way through, but then, you know, planted throughout? Or did you start at point A and end at point B? I mean, how does this come together? Because it's very difficult to describe or to talk about without jumping all over the place. And so I right. can only imagine how it was for you as a writer.
1: Well, let me say right away that it's helpful to think about the way poems move, image by image, association by association, repetition, rhyme, rhythm, emotional affect. And if I say those things, the book becomes a little less tricky to, you know, structurally. But the truth of the matter for me as a writer is that my husband brought a whiteboard into my process. And so, first, I was very angry with him and, and we fought because that's not my process. My process, shockingly, is to make a giant mosaic of mess or what I call nesting with ideas, thoughts, feelings, language, delight, fear, all of it. And then I'm in the middle of the nest. And and then sometimes he comes in and says, baby, that's really beautiful, but no humans can have access to it. So in this book, for the first time, he brought a whiteboard into the room. And even then, after I finally succumbed to using it, he helped me by making maps on the whiteboard in bubbles, which was the only way I would agree to doing it. And so the bubbles would have main characters or story threads. And then he would make lines between bubbles that would show how an order might present itself and where repetition would be good or not. And so I have to give him credit for this help because it let me see the whole, in a way I was struggling with because I'm so in love with nesting.
0: Now, I've kind of been all over the place, but is there anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked so far?
1: Well, I just, I love talking to you. Those are great questions. I delight in your questions, but I think I'd want to say that the statue and the torch and the idea of liberty is as yet unwritten, as far as I'm concerned, and still a set of possibilities, not because the statues important, but because the stories that might emerge from what seem like this destructive moment could be beautiful still. And the only other thing I'd say is that all the interlocking stories and different times and places, they are our present tense. It's not that I wrote something that isn't reflective of how it feels to be alive right now. I just made it look like it feels in life on the page. And so we do feel disoriented. We do feel shot back and forth in time. We do feel despair and then hope and brutality and then beauty. And so I made a kind of installation piece out of the novel.
0: You know, at the end of the book wraps up in something that you've said, you know, several times. And this is a quote from the book. There are many meanings to the word mother or father or family, other kinds of stories, other ways of coming into the world. We can learn to tell different stories to ourselves about who we are. I just want to thank you so much for joining me.
1: The pleasure was entirely mine. I'm grateful to you. And I hope that we all start thinking about stories
0: differently, if nothing else. (laughs) That was Lydia Yuknovich, author of the book, Thrust, which was published by Riverhead Books. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our marketing assistant is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.